You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. First hour is the power hour. Second hour, general questions. Anything goes. So if you want to jump in, I would do it soon. If you haven't pressed one on your phone right now, the sooner you do it, the better your chances of getting through. And I'll keep you updated uh, before we go into the second hour. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I'm joined by the guys from Pittsburgh Power. We've got Bruce and Ethan and John with us today. We're going to take your calls and answer your questions. Thing engines, performance, fuel mileage, upgrades, modifications, troubleshooting, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call us. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. I'm going to see what, what is new and exciting at Pittsburgh Power these days. Hey, guys, welcome back. Thank you, Hi, Kevin. Kevin. How are you? It's always a pleasure. Doing great. It's uh, it's that time of the week again. What's going on? Well, I don't have anything new for me, John. Ethan, do you fellas have anything new? I do. We've got a uh, – we, we just, just took delivery of a – Badly crashed 2014 Volvo with a ISX CM2350 in it that is going to be our test engine on the dyno. Uh, We're going to actually run a dyno and engine with uh, all the emission systems in place and use that to do some testing on the uh, soot separator as well as uh, tuning and other things that we've been doing with those. So uh, we're going to work on disassembling that thing later this week and getting it set up to put on the engine dyno. And then after we're done abusing it on the dyno, that's going to be the engine that we assemble for everybody at the uh, CMC. So we're going to take it apart and do a freshen up on it and all the the parts out there, and we'll uh, put that together there. So we're going to be doing it with an actual uh, state-of-the-art current engine. Oh, I love that. I've never really seen an ISX being built, any of the new ones, so I'd love to see that myself. Hey, could I get you guys to do me a favor if you get a chance? I know you're busy over there, but... If you could just shoot even some iPhone video while you guys are doing some of that, I'd love to have some of that footage. Oh, we could do that. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, we're yeah. going to try and get it in here Thursday or Friday and start disassembling it. And uh, I told uh, one of the techs that's going to be working on it, just go ahead and get that thing mounted right up to one of the dyno carts. And uh, we're going to piece everything together, run it with uh, all the emissions in place and everything, and do some uh, emissions testing on it as well. Yeah, that's exciting. I'd, I'd love to be able to see some of that. So anytime you can shoot some footage, send it my way. I'll have him log that, yeah, so we'll get to set up a camera. Maybe I'll put my GoPro in the bay and do a uh, time lapse for you or something. That'd be a great idea. We'll get that, uh, and then we can share it so everybody can watch what you guys are doing. Cool. Yeah, we'll work on that. All right. Kevin, as you uh, see... As you see, we're making a commitment to be able to drastically improve these new engines, uh, learning more every day about the 
uh, emission systems on these so people can buy new trucks and feel comfortable. Well, you know, Bruce, it's uh, it's been a long time coming, but I've been waiting for this. We There were so many years there where we just kind of threw our hands up and said, you know, we don't even know what to do with these things. Let, let's let this all shake out. And in the meantime, you know, I was recommending to keep the old engines, keep them running, build a glider, do whatever you have to do to stay out of this mess. And you and I said this, I'd like to go back and try to find in my shows when we started saying this, but it was probably 08 or 09. We were saying, look, we'll get through this. We did it with cars. We'll get through it in trucks, but we're nowhere near this yet. Um, We'll stay on top of it. And you guys certainly have. And it's so exciting now to see that that is coming true. I I don't make too many long-term projections because I don't like to be wrong. But we were talking about this, and, and we made that statement many, many times. The, the manufacturers will get through this. These products will improve. And you guys will figure out how to, how to make them run right, how to keep them running right. And it's all coming true now, and it's very exciting to watch. If you think about, you think about the, car, the automobile went to low compression in 1971 and I had vowed I would never own one of those things and I made a 68 Chevy Caprice 396 last until 1990. Wow. That's whenever I bought my first gasoline car with low compression because I just couldn't stand how sluggish they were. So that was 19 years. So now here we were in uh, 2003 when EGR hit the diesel engine in the semi truck and now we're at 2017 so it's it's what 14 years yeah yeah uh, you know it just seems like yesterday we started talking about all the problems um but it's been a long time and and again it's exciting uh, to see that we now have this option because there are a lot of benefits to new trucks. The aerodynamics have improved tremendously. The comfort, the creature comfort, the technologies have all improved. It's just been the engines that have been such a nightmare. And, and now to finally be getting past that and, and to say, this is an option. You can go buy a new truck now. Um, that's fantastic. For years, People would say, oh, Kevin, you've got to get on the bandwagon. You can't just keep bashing these engines. You have to figure out how to work with them. And, and my thought was, look, the engineers that build these things can't figure this out. Why, why do you think I'm going to? Um, I, I have nothing to do with the problems. I'm just trying to give you more options. And, and as long as these things continue to be the kind of problem they were, and it, it wasn't just my opinion. You know, you could look at the reports every year of what was happening to maintenance cost and downtime. Nationwide reports that got worse every single year. There was more downtime. The maintenance cost was going through the roof. We saw it in our clients. We, we, I could two profit and losses side by side from the same company. They were running a pre-emission truck and an emission truck, and it was clear which one was more profitable to run. So it wasn't me just bashing these things. I was just reporting. You know, I'm kind of like Fox. I report, you decide. Uh, but now, 
it's nice to be able to have this option to be able to go out and buy these trucks and know that even though you can't take them everywhere and get them fixed, that we're not to that point yet. Um, but you guys have made incredible advancements on these engines, and it's exciting to see that you're not even slowing down, you're accelerating. Correct. It must be the racer in us. The new one, you know, again, I didn't live through that stuff as directly as you did. I heard stories from Bruce while that was all going on, and I didn't really – I wasn't in the business, shall we say, at the time, uh, though, though I had an idea of what was going on. So it's – you know, I get here, you know, in the last year and a half, and the new stuff really impresses me. I mean, I will get on my DD-15 bandwagon again, but I'm still hearing of people with brand new ones that are – the new, new one that's got the peak torque at 975 RPM. Uh, those things are knocking on the door 10 miles per gallon out of the box. So yeah, uh, we've got some work to do to improve those, but uh, they're really getting they're getting it done. It's it's uh, they've figured it out and the stuff works now. Well, John, I, I I love the fact that you came in kind of from the outside and you got to look at everything almost with a fresh set of eyes. You know, I, I was jaded already uh, because I've been fighting this for so long. But you came to the same conclusions in a lot of ways that I did. I, I can go back to 08, and i not exaggerating. I'll bet I've said this phrase at least 100 times. If you forced me, if you put a gun to my head and made me buy one of these new trucks, it would have a DD-15 in it. That, that was my favorite engine of the lot. So I love the fact that, that you came in, you know, looked at it fresh, and you like that engine. You can't argue with the numbers. You just can't. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. So uh, I don't have anything this week. It's been a crazy week for me. Um, you know, we're doing three specialty shows every week now. We've got the, the new broker show on Monday. We've got the Power Hour on Tuesday, the Health Show on Wednesday. And it has drastically increased my research time. And uh, I... I've got to find somewhere to squeeze a little more in. So uh, I didn't do a lot of research this week, uh, but we always have tons of calls. Should we just uh, get to those? Sure. Let's. Uh, we're coming up on a break, but we're going to go ahead and jump into this one, and we'll carry it through the break. Let's start off in Minnesota. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I called back in December and I spoke with you guys. I'm having, I've got a 2000 Freightliner Century with a 99 Detroit, and I'm having cruise control and jig brake issues. Uh, cruise control either works or it doesn't, and when it does work, it can accelerate itself down the highway you know, without any input from me. And uh, the recommendation was change the speed sensor uh, back. In February, I ended up with a new transmission, so by virtue, I got a new speed sensor. And okay, hold that, hold that thought right there, and we'll get to a break, and we'll come back. Hey, maybe nothing's wrong with your truck. It's accelerating on your own. Maybe you just have an autonomous truck already, or maybe not. We'll come back and talk about that right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got the guys here from Pittsburgh Power joining me, Bruce and Ethan and John. And we're going to get right back to the calls. We were talking with Mark. Mark, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like a little bit more autonomy in my truck. Uh, so yeah. I'm trying to get this cruise control fixed. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, I, like I said, I changed the, the transmission, ended up getting replaced in February, and by virtue of that, it got a new speed sensor in it. And uh, just a lot of people are telling me the battery and the ECM could be causing these symptoms. Uh, you know, the engine brakes kind of work whenever they want to. Uh, Ethan? Just, uh, it almost, I have a couple on there. The truck is only going to accelerate itself if it thinks it's slowing down or if it thinks that you changed the input speed. Um, since you got the new transmission, does it still accelerate itself? It does. It does. Okay. And all uh, the just, switches on the dash are still, are, they're all been replaced. I started there trying to fix this issue. Okay. Um, have the clutch and brake switch also been the brake parking brake switches and even the service brake switch has been checked uh no i do have some issues with that when i set the parking brakes on the tractor this essentially it comes up with that warning parking brakes on and buzzes at me for a few minutes before it'll actually go out yeah that, that that's that could have something to do with the jig brakes not working the cruise control the make sure that the tone ring isn't slipping at all I know you'd hope that they would have checked that when they had the transmission out, but you never know. Okay. So it did it before and after the transmission? Yes, it did it had the problem. Before. Okay. I'd still check the tone Ethan, ring. Where, yeah. Where is the tone ring? Uh, on most transmissions, it's, a, it's right there at the yoke. Right. It's under the speed sensor. The easiest way to check it is to pull the speed sensor out and then take a screwdriver and pry on the teeth to reach through the hole and then give a light pry on the teeth of the tone ring with a screwdriver if it turns on the shaft. We, we had a problem we chased on the truck here for days uh, before we discovered that that was the problem. It was getting an erroneous speed uh, reading at the, at the speed sensor because the tone ring was actually turning on the output shaft. Okay. Yeah, easy to check. Just spin the, spin the sensor out and then take a screwdriver and see if you can move the tone ring. Okay. Uh, and any recommendation where to go from there if that's not the case? Uh, Pittsburgh would be. Pittsburgh power. <laughs> Bring it to y'all. <laughs> you beat me to it, Bruce. I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, get it over here for you if it's not something simple like that. As I, I'd like to get it to you guys anyway and maybe see about doing some programming and all that, but I just I don't want to mess with the computer too much until I know for sure whether it's good or not. We could actually use the cruise control on the dyno, so we could we could recreate it here without driving it up and down the road. So, yeah, if it still does, if you check that tone ring and it's still doing it, get it over here and we could uh, we could test that. Okay. Well, thank you guys very much. You're, You're welcome. welcome. Thanks for the call. I guess great minds think alike. Let's go to Kentucky. Troy, welcome to the program. Hello. Yep, it's your turn. What's on Hello. your mind today? Hi. All right, I uh, I've got a truck here that I bought for fuel economy, and it is not getting me any fuel economy. Uh, I bought a uh, 2012 Cascadia with a DD13, 
and it was spec from the company for fuel economy and lightweight. It's got super singles, the automated uh, manual transmission and everything, and I have been struggling with anything I do to barely get high fives and low sixes on ouch. my fuel economy on this. Yes, very much. Uh, ouch. Which transmission, what gears? Um, it's the... Uh, 10 speed. Um, I do not know the, it's the automated manual, the, the ultra shift. So okay. uh, um, that helps you out. I don't know the finals, but it, at, if it helps uh, you, it's an old Maverick truck flatbed as uh, what their trucks are. Yeah. It kind of gives me an idea at uh, what, what speed are you normally um, running at top gear? 65 is the top I will go unless I'm passing someone and I try and keep it between 62 to 65. At 65, where's the tack? Uh, let me look here. At 65, I am right straight up 1,500. Wow. What? What? Well, let's uh, go a little further. Do you have the scan gauge or a boost gauge? And what I, is your I do, turbo boost? I do. I've got the uh, scan gauge right here in front of me, and I just pulled a pretty good hill, and I wrote this down, so I have my notes. Uh, it pulls, it shows uh, 28.4 boost and 292 horsepower is what it shows on there. Yeah, the okay, horsepower. What do you have on the level? On the level at at 1500 RPM on the level, wind not blowing, loaded trailer. How low is the boost? Um, I don't know. Give me just a second and I'll uh, level out and I can tell you here, but, um, give you a little bit of background on this. I, when I got it, they had an issue cause I wanted them to take the, the governor and the, the idle restrictions and all that off. And when they did, I believe they, they messed up, you know, they kind of blanked everything cause I had to end up taking it back to them and they, they took about four hours to get this thing reprogrammed, whatever they did. Um, let's see, uh, on level ground here, I'm running about six to seven, uh, boost. That's not bad. That's good. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, it, I didn't know on the scan gauge cause it, this thing, they say it's a 430 horse and it's non adjustable, you know, cause most of these Detroit's usually they'll be able to kick them up. Uh, to a higher horsepower, and they said for whatever reason this one was, you know, it, it's only a 430 horse. Um, but the highest horsepower that the scan gauge shows that I've ever seen on this is about 290 horse is uh, all it shows there. 290 uh, is 29 pound of boost. That's that, uh, something's not giving you a good reading there because. That's at least uh, should be close to 500 horsepower at 29 pound of boost. Bruce, the uh, okay. the horsepower reading on the scan gauge actually has to be set and calibrated. Otherwise, it's not even close. And and to set it is just oh, not okay. it's not worth the time and the trouble. You've actually got to put it on the dyno and find all the different readings and then go in and try to program it. So I, I would ignore that okay. number completely. Um, just a real quick okay. question. What, uh, actually, a couple. Which, you right. said it was uh, wide singles. Which which tire, which model? 
Uh, it's the Yokohama. Um, I do not remember the the exact model, but okay. it is the their their okay. fuel efficient yeah. one. It's not the big lug. What kind of freight are you pulling? I have a flatbed. Um, I I pull fifteen thousand to thirty thousand, but I actually do a lot of empty trailer moves. So I'll take an empty loaded or empty trailer out to a point, drop it, and bring another one back. So I do a lot of those moves, and that's when I've gotten my best fuel mileage on this. And that was seven point two with an empty trailer both ways, almost two thousand miles. That should be about your average. So you're you're a good mile and a half. You're a good mile and a half, almost two miles to the gallon lower than what this truck should be based on the specs and what you're pulling. So I, I think that this is a some sort of a maintenance issue. We would need to look at overhead charger cooler. I would do an oil sample on. Have you done any oil samples? Uh, I have not. I've only put 40,000 miles on it this uh the truck only has 400,000 on it i i would pull a little sample right now with with 40,000 on it that would be plenty of miles to give us to tell us what's going on and then honestly you know ethan i think this would be you know you getting it on the computer and, and looking at emissions and i think this is clearly a maintenance issue yeah, it'd be okay. a good candidate to run it on the, the dyno and see, make sure it's making the right horsepower at the wheels. Um, I know they said we you, they couldn't adjust it, but it is adjustable on, on that one. Right. Um, so that wouldn't be an issue there. Uh, I've got to wonder if they did, when they did made the changes and took four hours with the ECM, that maybe they, there's something's not quite right there. That's what I, I'm saying. I, I really think that myself, you know, and yeah. uh, I actually took it back and, I'm trying to get it up there to y'all, but I'll be honest, I just want to make sure I'm I'm headed in the right direction on it before I just don't want to take it up there and just kind of go here, <laughs> you know, uh, figure it out. I'm trying to eliminate any of the simple stuff because I don't know if y'all have the uh, the soot filter for the DD-13 yet, but as soon as y'all get that available, I want to get that on this truck, and I also want to get a power box on this truck because I, I came yeah, out of the a 01 western star i'm sorry all right we're, we're gonna get to a break when i come back i'll give you a couple simple things that i think you could do before you head that way but ultimately i don't think it, you're probably going to find it's a combination of a couple things but i think the primary problem is going to be in the missions or the ecm um, we'll talk about that right after this break stick around we'll be right back i'm kevin rutherford this is the power hour Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rothford. This is the Power Hour. I've got the guys from Pittsburgh Power helping me out today, Bruce and 
John. Actually, I should probably change the way I say that. I, I'm just standing here pushing buttons. I should say I'm here helping <laughs> you, Dr. John. You're doing all the heavy lifting. Um, we're going to go back to Troy. Troy, you know, the things you could do kind of ahead of time. Um, I would absolutely do the oil sample. That could tell us a lot. Testing the charger cooler. Uh, you could wait till you get there. They could do that. But if you want to, you know, kind of a preemptive strike, those are a couple things you could do. And we may find there are some things going on, but I think with that much of a fuel mileage uh, drop, this is going to be ECM and emission related, most of it anyway. Kevin? Okay. Yeah. There were two red flags when Troy started to talk to me. One was when they said it can only be a 430. In 40 <laughs> years, we have never found a diesel engine that can only be a given horsepower. Number two is they sounds like they were frustrated because they were programming for four hours and they couldn't get it right. So they got it so it would run and go down the highway. Yeah. So those were the two big red flags that I saw. Yeah, and that's why I think the bulk of this is ECM related. Like I say, we may find you have a leaking charger cooler or some intake restriction or, or something else that might be adding to this. Um, that's why it'd be really good to just check everything now. This should easily, the way you're driving this and the freight you're pulling, this should easily be a seven, seven and a half mile per gallon truck average. And, and you're struggling to get that empty. So, um, clearly there's a, a lot that's going to be able to be fixed here, but this is one we're not going to solve over the phone. We're going to need more information and they're going to need to dig in and start looking at things. Let's head off to North Dakota. Brandon, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how are we doing? Good. On your mind today. Uh, this number. Well, I got a 2005 Freightliner Columbia with the BXS cat. I've called you before on it. It's been a while. <laughs> And I recently just called and spoke to Eric at Pittsburgh Power yesterday. And uh, I'm really trying to troubleshoot this, and I'm really hoping it's not what they're thinking it is. I've got uh, about two weeks ago, I had to go out to my leaser's place and pick up his trailer. He was having truck problems, and he had actually had his ECM in Pittsburgh shop at that time. And I had to go get a trailer because it's for our broker. And... Uh, went out to get it and I realized that my coolant was a little low on my truck. My truck had been sitting for a week. I'd taken some time off. I added coolant, not really thinking much of it, headed out. And it's a 900 mile trip. Bob tailed out, came back with a trailer loaded. And when I got back to my yard, I realized I had coolant dripping out of my overflow tube. And I thought it was a little strange. And uh, then I realized my cooling system's pressuring up. So right away, I thought the worst, and that's what Eric's thinking too, is either head or head gasket. So I got a block tester. Everybody recommend, that I spoke to before that, it's recommended a block tester to test for combustion gases and the coolant. And I got that, ran the test, the dye stayed blue. And then from there on out, I decided, well, if the dye stayed blue, maybe it's an air compressor problem. So I ended up replacing my air compressor, found out that that wasn't ever... Uh, cutting out like it was supposed to. It just kept on turning. So I replaced that, put the block tester back on the surge tank with just some water in it to see what was going on after I had it all done. And, of course, I got bubbles coming up out of that again. Is there anything else I should be checking with that 
that motor? No. Um, the, the only place bubbles are going to come from are from compression or the air compressor. Now, you could actually pull the water lines off the air compressor while it's running. I realize you just replaced it, and it's probably good, but you can take the water hoses off of it and plug them off and run it without that in the mix while the uh, funnel is on the expansion tank and keep an eye on it on there for bubbles. And if you've still got bubbles with the compressor out of the equation, it's going to be something in the engine. Even if your dye didn't show that it was uh, combustion getting into there, that's that's definitely what it is. It's compression making its way into the cooling system. How many miles are on this engine? Uh, 914. Total, or is that since a rebuild? Total. That's total. Total. Okay. Your block's probably still okay. We've seen a rash of... Uh, some of these uh, cats that have C15 based engines that have been uh, rebuilt numerous times that are starting to show some cracking around where the liners uh, clamp onto the deck surface. And uh, we've had, had a rash of them here recently. And I've also seen quite a few uh, cracked liners lately as well. So take a look at everything. If the head's not obvious or if you have the head pressure tested, you almost can't see if the liner is cracked. It, cl it, it cracks right around the circumference where the gasket sits on it where it clamps down tightly, where it sandwiches the liner between the head and the uh, deck surface. So underneath is where you'd see the cracking. And it's, it's inside the gasket area, so compression makes its way around there and down into the cooling system. But uh, difficult difficult to see without pulling the liners. Yep. The other thing that I, th that I think is a little crazy about it is this morning I had, to, I had a free oil change to go get. And... Uh, I wanted to take, I had a pressure gauge on my top radiator tube where there's the bleeder petcock at it, took that out and put a pressure mm -hmm. gauge in. I wanted to see what kind of pressure I was building. And I figured that might be able to help me figure out what's going on too. And uh, I went to take that out and I seen that after I'd ran it yesterday, that, you know, pressure came up, it, it sat around 14 pounds, but of course it was bleeding out the cap at that point. Uh, you got to take the pressure gauge off. Pressure gauge is, is down, but I'm still holding pressure after it's sat for 18 hours. Hmm. How much? I'd say I was up to about 14 when I shut it off, and I still had about maybe 5 to 7. Wow. Okay, and the, the coolant was back down to ambient temperature at that point? Oh, yeah, it was... It, snow on the ground here. It was totally oh, okay. cold. I didn't even have it plugged in. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know what, what would explain that. Was the truck still holding air? Your uh, air system in the truck still aired up? No, no. I have, I have a, I had a brake can going bad on it. So. I... Okay. All right. Hmm. So, Bruce, any thoughts on that? Actually, I had an emergency. I had to tend to, so I stepped away oh. from the phone. So okay. I did not. He missed out on all of it. Yeah, that kind of that, that def defies the laws of physics. There, uh, yeah. So, well, you know, that, uh, there's there's one other crazy thing that I've brought up to another shop. Okay. I I've decided I want to keep track of this because I was on the road when I realized that this was going on. I wanted to keep track of it, so I took a jug. I got it hanging from my radiator support bra or brace. And I got my overflow tube going from the surge tank going in there, so I can keep track of how much coolant it's pushing out. And right here the other day on my way back, I was over in Indiana coming home, and uh, I pushed out about a half a gallon. I knew that. Checked. I stop and I check it every couple hundred miles, you know, because I know it hadn't been too much. I'd been losing. 
and uh, ended up checking it in Fargo, North Dakota, and I got home. I'm about 200 miles away from there, and I'm still at, you know, half a gallon. I figured, well, all right, whatever. I come out the next day because I was going to replace, I had the air compressor and all my parts. I was going to replace that after the engine cooled down, and my jug's empty. Here, it, it's like it sucked it all back up the tube and into the motor. Yeah, it'll do that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, so what happens is there, there are two to. things. I, I, I was brainstorming a little bit while you were talking there about the pressurization after the engine had sat. If you start the engine and don't heat it up, but you've got compression making its way in there that's not being forced back the other way, because we've got, you know, hundreds of pounds at least, if not thousands of pounds of cylinder pressure. You could have a small crack or a blown head gasket that's working like a check valve that's going to let the, you know, the the massive amounts of pressure by one way, but the 15 pounds that are living in the cooling system are not going to be pushed back into the cylinder. So if you start the engine and don't actually heat it up and expand the water, that pressure should hold indefinitely. So I, this this is leaning more toward you have some sort of compression leak. Now if you had the engine nice and hot and it expanded and you pushed the 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 coolant into a, a catch can that you have the hose run to the bottom of, the radiator cap works like a check valve. It allows air in, it'll pull air back in, or, or it doesn't work because it needs that, that expandable, that area in there to compress whenever the coolant expands. So what happened, it was hot and the coolant cooled, at which point it becomes a much smaller, which actually creates a vacuum in there. It would have pulled the coolant back in. This is how a, you know the overflow tank on any, any automobile works. Otherwise, yeah, it'll draw it right back in. Something. <laughs> if it could yep. have, right? No. But the fact that it was right. holding pressure when it was cold, to me, means that that was being artificially pressurized. It wasn't just pressurizing the system due to the expansion of the coolant. All right. Looks like we're going to have to get to a break. We'll come back. We'll get to more calls and questions right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I'll give you a quick heads up. We're heading into the fourth segment, and then we're going to do another hour of general questions. Uh, Looks like we've got lots of questions on hold, so we're just going to get right to it. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. We're going to get right back to the calls. We're off to South Dakota. Greg, it's your turn. Welcome to the program. Yeah, hi. How you doing? See, I've got a 2014 Harrison Glider 12.7 Detroit. 
It's got the Pittsburgh manifold, turbo tune. Problem I'm having is a hard start. I can't figure it out. It just hesitates to, to start. Uh, hold on. Let me, oh, you know what? I thought I brought you guys in, but, uh, I think I must've hit the wrong button. There you are. Ethan, John, go ahead. Bruce, you should be there too. We're here. Has anybody checked? There's a, a, the check valve at the back of the head on that. Has that been replaced? Yes, it has. I replaced that throttle position sensor, timing sensor, and the synchronizer. If I hold, if I give it just a little throttle, it pops right off. But if I just leave the throttle alone, try to start it, it just it, it hesitates to come to life. And there's your answer. You just fixed it. <laughs> I, I mean, I hey, a lot of position. No, no, just put a give a little throttle. I mean, back on the uh, on the twelve valve <laughs> Cummins engines in the Dodges. Once we turn those up. A lot of times you just had to give it an about an eighth inch of throttle when you hit the key and it fire right up. Okay, I'll, I'll go with that. Okay. I just thought maybe yeah. it was something that you guys would run into. How about could he not, if it was losing prime, giving it a little throttle wouldn't make a difference. Ethan, it sounds to me like it's an electrical. Uh, they changed the throttle positioning sensor. What about the throttle itself? It sounds like he's not getting the signal until he touches the throttle. Uh, if, the, if if it it'll start even if you don't have the throttle position plugged in, uh, because it will just default out to idle. So that shouldn't be it. The only thing the throttle is going to do is request a little bit more fuel. Um, so it's more okay. than more than possible to add a little bit more fuel while it's cranking. So is that like an adjustment, so you, or is that... uh, It's a change in the ECM. It would have to be done that way. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I'll maybe you just did this one, Ethan. You remember a couple weeks ago we reinstalled remotely up in Minnesota with Joder? Mm, we've done a lot there. My memory's a little, <laughs> a little fa uh, fuzzy there on how many different tunes we've done. Okay, well, so where yeah, were you? Guys, I'll, I'll let you get to the next call. Thank you. Is that Joe Larson? Yep. Hmm. Okay, we're Joe's? Okay. All right. We're going to squeeze in a couple more. Let's go to Texas. Hold on. Things are moving on me. Let's go to Texas. Bruce, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I'm looking uh, at getting rid of my old truck. It's just uh, requiring too much maintenance, and I just came down with a major problem. Anyway, I'll try to talk quick. I know we're time-sensitive here. I'm looking at it. Uh, I thought about a glider for years. I don't have to go to California. However, I really think I could probably get better fuel economy with one of these new motors. I pretty much have my mind set on either the DB15 or the ISX Cummins. Um, I'm pretty safe with either one as long as it's a 2012 or newer. Is that, is that correct? Yes. Okay. And then uh, I know that, Bruce, uh, you probably prefer the Cummins. I know John probably prefers the DD-15. Uh, that's pro probably good information, right? That's correct. 
That's, that's what I thought. I listen to y'all regularly. Uh, actually, I've been in your shop a couple times. <laughs> yeah, I got the power box on a CU15A, so it's just one more. I got another problem anyway. It's been great for me. But anyway, so I heard through the grapevine that on the DD15 and a freight liner, that after treatment, that diesel particulate filter had to be serviced and replaced as one whole unit. Is is that true, or do you know? I believe it is serviceable to be cleaned, but to replace it, they call it the one box, and I'm not sure what's available for it for parts inside. We've right, not had to right. do one yet or seen one, but the, they do exchanges, I know. If there is a problem, you replace the one box. It, uh, it's it got a plug on it, a couple of hoses and uh, pipes, and it slides right out, and it's all enclosed in one one container. It's not like the uh, Cummins. The new Cummins, though, if you were to buy a brand new one, is one unit as well. They don't call it one uh, box, but it's just one continuous unit also. Okay. But that being one box, you don't think it's anything we really be particularly scared of on a freight liner? No, no, not at all. Nope. I've heard no okay. horror stories about the one box. So they seem to be pretty good. And they can be cleaned okay. and serviced and yeah. Okay, like I said, I'd heard through the grapevine a couple people said different things and you know how that is. I don't believe that as far as I can throw it. So Odds are I'll probably go to the D fifteen or an IA six and new and hope for the best. And hey, that's all I've got today. All right, all right. All right. Hey, hey guys, you know what I'm looking forward to now that we're starting to you know talk about these new engines and actually recommend them. I, I'm looking forward to the day when all four of us get on here and we each have a favorite engine that's different. We have to argue about who's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Ken, Kevin, you know I'm a Kenworth fan, so that uh, means that there's only two engines that I could have. Well, if, if I had my way, I'd be building a Volvo with a DD13, and I don't see that happening anytime soon. But it'd, it'd be fun <laughs> to be arguing about, you know, who's right now. You know, now that we love these engines, whose is better? Hey, Kevin, I, here's something I want to tell you. Forty years ago, when I got started, injectors were $15 a piece for a Cummins, and that was $90 for the set, and labor rate was $15 an hour, and it took about six hours, so that was another $90 labor to put them in. So for $180, parts and labor, the guy went down the highway with a new set of injectors. That doesn't even cover the Isn't tax on anymore. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Politicians have left inflation take off at a rampant rate. Yeah. Crazy hey guys, stuff. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a customer who just walked in here who would like to uh, who would like to talk for a second. Do we have a minute? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, here's James. Hello, how y'all doing today? Hey, James, what's up? Good. Uh, well, I just wanted to uh, take a, a couple seconds, if I could, and just kind of explain what these guys did for me. Um, they, uh, they, well, I brought in a, a 2012 Freightliner Cascadia uh, Cummings ISX. It had uh, was dynoed out at a um, little over 400 horsepower. It was the uh, four the 450 model. They uh, took my horsepower to uh, 527 horsepower. They uh, 
took my uh, my torque from a little over 1,400 to just under 2,000 foot-pounds of torque. Wow. And they took my uh, fuel mileage from a little over, uh, well, a little under 6 miles per gallon to 7.88. Wow. That's incredible. Yes. That is. Absolutely. You know, I've been doing fuel mileage stuff for a very, very long time, and to see those kind of increases is just, and that's that's part of what we're seeing in these newer engines that we're so excited about. When they don't run right, most shops just give up on them. You go to most shops and say, hey, look, I should be getting better fuel economy than this, and and they'll give you that deer in the headlights look and start, you know, making excuses, but that's what's possible on these engines when you know how to work on them, and that's exciting. Kevin, this fellow's name is, he's a rock star. His name is James Brown. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is he going to do a little tune for us? Uh, well, you know, it's hey. kind of funny. I, uh, I've been in the music business for a little while, but as transportation, uh, not a performer. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, I was at least you know say, I feel good. I, I was going to say, if you'll sing, I'll dance. Now, <laughs> also, Kevin, that 527 horsepower is to the ground, so you have to take that divided by 0.85, which should give you about six and a quarter horsepower. So you can see how much more horsepower we gave him. And people call every day and say, we don't, I don't want horsepower, but I want fuel mileage. I said, well, I got to give you horsepower to get you over the mountain to get onto the level where you're going to get your fuel mileage. So it takes horsepower to make fuel mileage, and this is a prime example. Great example. And what an awesome increase in torque. That thing has to be just fun to drive. Oh, yeah. And Oh, yeah. And that was just a tune-up. I mean, that's, there was hardly any parts added to that. That was just a tune-up. That is awesome stuff. Hey, I hate to do it, but uh, we got to call it a day. We are all out of time. We'll do it again next week. Thanks to the guys from Pittsburgh Power for doing the heavy lifting, Bruce and Ethan and John. Thanks for all the calls. Great questions. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey from Kevin Rutherford. All right, everybody, we're going to jump right into a second hour. This is a general questions hour. Anything goes. Looks like we've got lots of uh, questions lined up, so I'm just going to get right to it. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, 
health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. Uh, normally, I like to do a little bit of an open, but I'll tell you tonight, we have just been swamped with questions, so we are going to jump right in and get to as many of them as we can. Let's head off to Georgia to get started. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, um, when are you going to get the uh, monkey brittle back in stock again? Boy, uh, I, I tell you, we are waiting patiently, um, and I don't have a date. Uh, this is a very small company that makes this for us, and you know, I've maybe told the story that they were actually going to stop making this product um, because they were going to have to expand, and it was it was almost one of those stories where it was supposed to be kind of a hobby, and then it got so big. Uh, and, and they were going to stop making it. We went to them and requested the product, and we have just kept them going full bore. Um, and they had some things that um, they were working on that they needed to just take a break from the monkey brittle because we had them making batch after batch after batch. Um, so we're, we're looking at a more long-term plan, um, looking at expanding capability to get it back because we get so many requests for it. And literally, when we get a batch in right now, it doesn't make it 48 hours. I don't have a date, but I can yeah. tell you that we are doing everything we can to get it back in. Not only that, um, this company just has some awesome recipes uh, that they've never released as a commercial product that we love for the truck. So we're not only talking about the monkey brittle, we're talking about some other products that would be, you know, just as clean, just as healthy. Um, looking at some more um, on the savory side, higher fat, that kind of thing. You know, the monkey brittle is kind of that little treat we like to have at the end of the day. So we're looking at some other products as well. And as soon as we can get it in, we'll let you know. Oh, they are so good. They are so good. Uh, but uh, the the question that I that I have is that uh, I was trying to get on a, on the uh, Broker Connect uh, show um, the uh, on another episode, and one of the things I was listening to the Race Lane podcast where the uh, attorney was on, and he was talking about the food safety minute uh, the. Uh, Food Safety Act that that's in the play, and then he also went as far to say that a lot of the brokers are putting a, an addendum in the contracts, revising their contracts, saying that that they have the sole discretion of crush it and dump it, um, you know, dump it of the freight, even though it may not be contaminated. And um, I want to be proactive because I'm 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 soon filing for my authority and going forth, and I want to avoid these types of contracts. And just getting started, once I just once I get started into this, I know that he said that uh, most uh, most of these shippers and receivers and, and uh, will say we don't want to deal with you if you don't sign this contract. What is your uh, methodology of? the way I should go once I begin to get started to try to avoid some of these contracts or what, uh, how should you su suggest that I look for 
brokers that don't have this uh, uh, these uh, terrible types of contracts because my thing is if the insurance don't, uh, claim don't cover it, I, I can't be responsible for it because it'll put me out of business just as quick as I get in business. Well, the, the, it's really good that you're being proactive. That's the first step. So you're on the right track. You know, rather than get into the details of each one of these clauses, because this kind of stuff has been coming up for years, um, and this is one of those areas where you got to remember most of the time in business, people are looking out for number one. And this is a big reason why I'm starting this show, because if we don't have good relationships, if we are doing what most small carriers are doing, the one and done, chasing the rate, then the broker has no incentive not to look out for himself. You know, he, if he can't build a relationship with the carrier, well, then, hell, he might as well just write the contract to benefit himself and who cares? Because honestly, most owner operators and small carriers aren't even reading this stuff and they don't understand it. But if we start building the relationships, now there's an incentive not to just try to look out for number one. This is where we start looking at win-win. You know, yes, this issue, issue is a problem, but there are better ways to handle it rather than just writing these one-sided clauses. But they do it because they can. Right. And they do it because right. they don't have a relationship anyway. So the, the real key here is to build that relationship. And, but also, you've got to be doing what you're doing. You have to be asking good questions. You have to be looking at these contracts and saying, is this something I want to sign? And we can't crush under that pressure of, well, you either sign the contract or we're not using you. Well, if that's the case, if that's the way you want to negotiate, well, then, hell, I don't want to work with you anyway. I mean, if it's all or nothing okay. on this, issue, it's going to be all or nothing all the time. That's not a relationship. One of the things that that people don't seem to get, um, a lot of people who listen, as soon as I start talking about brokers, they start saying, well, he's just pro broker. Well, he just thinks the brokers are wonderful and that all the problems are us. I don't think that at all. There are lots of brokers out there I would never work with. This is no different than maintenance shops. And I tell people, you have to build a relationship with the maintenance shop. And they'll say, well, I tried that. It didn't work. Oh, okay, try it again. Well, I did, and it didn't work. Well, try it again. Okay, I did, and it didn't work. So how many times do you try? You try until it works. And I don't care if it's 100. If you want to succeed in business, that's how you do it. And it's the same thing with brokers. There are lots of brokers I would never waste any time trying to build a relationship with. And that would be one of the clues. This is our policy. Take it or leave it. Okay, good. I'm glad I have a choice. I'm going to leave it. And I'll go find somebody who will work with me. But it is a two-way street. And, and so one of the things you could be doing as you're building up to this is identify those brokers now. Go visit them. Go sit down with them. Um, when you learn these kind of things about these clauses, make a list and say, hey, you know, I, I, I know this is an issue. Um, how do you guys handle this? 
and and then start that conversation. And if we find out why they do that, then many times we can find a better solution. But if the answer is just, you know, this is what we do and too bad. Well, okay, good. I'll go somewhere else. But we never get to that part of the conversation because all we tend to do is bicker over rates and then move on. Right, right. That helps me out. That really helps me out a lot. And I do appreciate you taking my call on this issue because, like I said, I'm, I'm, I want to do my homework before I step over into it. Uh, I listen to the podcast religiously of, of, of everyone that's, that's associated with it. And, and I'm just doing my homework to, to succeed. I'm on profit gauges. I'm on uh, fuel gauges and, and all of that. And so, and, and I take your opinion to heart. And I really do appreciate you so much. I really do. You're welcome, Steve. Thanks for the call. So, you know, what we're trying to build here with the different shows, um, Kenny, Kenny Long and Trucking with Authority, Kenny does an amazing job of digging down into those details that, that you know, the contract details, the legal issues, what's going on, um, you know, having your own authority insurance. He, he really brings in guests. Um, I love what he's doing and, and Rico on the rates and lane side. Again, it's that every day in the trenches, what, what they're doing themselves and they have that credibility. They're out there doing it every day. I want to be the big picture guy on this. I'm not out there doing it every day. I've been there. I have that background. I was a broker and moved freight under my own authority. And I want to be the big picture guy, because that's really my strength anyway. I've never been much of a detail guy. I, I want to be the, the strategy, the, the, you know, that business model. So together, put all those pieces together and uh, you're going to have all the tools you need to run as a carrier yourself and do it well and make money doing it. So we'll keep doing what we do. You keep calling. We love that. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. We're off to Oklahoma. John, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Nice to talk to you again. What's on your mind uh, today? I've got a couple questions. Um, I've got a uh, Peterbilt 379 with a C model 3406. Um, I pull uh, a rock bucket in and out of Aquarius does dirt, sand, and everything, and all that jazz. Is uh, the fleet air filter going to work for me, or is that oil base 
going to just turn into a big brick of concrete. And uh, if I can use them, am I going to be better off trying to find a solution to get a one filter system instead of buying two air filters and put it underneath the hood or behind the cab is my first question. And then if you got time, I got another one for you. Okay, so let's tackle this one because this one's kind of tough. There's a lot going on here. Um, you know, the the two filter system really moves a lot of air, so there are some advantages to that that two filter system. We're not really worried about aerodynamics much in your operation. I, as much as I talk about aerodynamics, in in some operations, it's not nearly as important. Um, but we do have this dirt issue. And it's an issue no matter what we do. Um, Paper filters will certainly filter it. um, But when you put a new one in, it actually doesn't filter all that well. One of the things I would probably like to see that would help me answer this question better, I'm going to give you some ideas. um, But if we could see an oil sample and if we could see how much dirt we're getting in that engine, that might be a better indicator. If I, you do have to be careful with the fleet air filter in this. It's not that it doesn't filter good, but you hit the nail on the head. Is it going to clog quickly? Because we're going to be trapping so much stuff. Yeah, so if I were going to do this, uh, and this is where the two filter thing starts to get a little iffy, I would want at least two sets of filters so that, because I would be changing a lot more often and I wouldn't want to have to wait till I cleaned and dried my set every time. So I would have two sets so that as soon as it got dirty, I throw the other set in and then I've got some time to clean and, and re-oil the other set. Uh, but now you're looking at buying four filters total. Um, well, you could buy the wraps. Um, so it's not all that bad. That's the way I would do it. If I were going to use the fleet air filter and then I would also, I I would highly encourage you to talk to them, you know, call them and explain the same thing you just did to me because they have, they have all that feedback from people who are already doing it and they may have some other ideas for you as well. Okay. Yeah. I picked up one. uh, I got a Columbia too. I picked up one and actually put it in uh, yesterday morning. Over the weekend, I come through Joplin on my way back from Branson. Um, so I've got one running. It's got its, well, fixing to have its second full day. Um, so experiment with that one because it was, uh, you know, just had to buy one. So yeah, um, good. Looking at that, going to check that out this weekend. Um, thank you for that. And my second question is I just picked up a really worth the money cheap dump truck, 87 model FLD. Um, it's got a, uh, a B model Caterpillar in it. And the problem with it is you fill the water reservoir and you can pull the dipstick and water comes right out of the dipstick as soon as it gets full. So obviously got a problem there. What should be my motivation to troubleshoot that? Just pull the head off of it or is there a compression test or I'm, I'm not sure which way to go with that. But the, well, I bought the tractor because the bed the bed is worth what I give for it, you know. Yeah. Um, do you have a a local shop that you work with that that is still really good at mechanical engines? Um, they're getting hard to find, but I've got a guy that runs around in a truck. You know what I mean? But he's not really. Um, he doesn't speak a whole lot of English, if you know what I mean. Right. 
Yeah, this is one of those where uh, because you're running mechanical engines, I would really look hard. I'm trying to think of where do you live? Are you in Oklahoma? Yeah, Oklahoma City. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anybody I know in that area. You know, it would really, really be worth your time to to find somebody to just take the time, ask everybody you know, hey, I'm looking for one of those old school guys. Um, you know, this is the beauty of Pittsburgh Power, and I know you're nowhere near there. They've got that 40-plus years experience where, you know, they did mechanical engines forever, and they still have those guys around. And now they've got, you know, Ethan and John, and, and they've got these guys that are just whizzes on the new electronic engines. But it really right. the I best. Closer. I wish they was closer or had a satellite shop because, you know, I'd go buy a low boy. i got a whole fence row of trucks. That just yeah. you know yeah. run them till they break and put it in the fence and go buy another cheap one, you know it's kind of <laughs> it's kind yeah, of you know it fits our model. You know uh, it, well, I'm not really no, concerned with fuel mileage right now because it's it's more speed and than it is uh, fuel mileage because diesel it's you know smile and fill it up. Um, how fast can you get to the quarry? You know, in your model, that is absolutely correct. That That is a good way to run your model. It is so totally different than the over-the-road market that we talk about all the time. Uh, I love that. I would be doing the same thing if I were in your shoes. But I would be, I would be finding me that old-school mechanic that, you know, he would just take care of all of this kind of stuff for me. All righty. Well, I, I could I could sit and talk to you all day, but that's that's my two zingers that I've got. All right. Well, we'll call back and we will do that. We'll uh, we'll talk all day. We'll just spread it out over a three month period. Let's head off to Wisconsin. Rick, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I appreciate everything you do for me and everybody out there. I would like to ask you a couple of questions about scan gauge. I, I got one on the way to my house. I have a 2016 T680 with a Packard MX-13 in it that says it's a 2015 engine. And this is an early model 2016 built in March of 15. Uh, I have a good set of gauges already in the dash. I have a boost gauge, and I want to know a couple things about your scan gauge. Will it have the exhaust gas temperature or pyrometer built in where I can get that as one of the pits? So the way the scan gauge works is the scan gauge is capable of reading virtually everything that's inside the ECM. It comes with a standard set of pre-programmed gauges, quite a few. And then there's a it looks somewhat complicated, but there's a, a, a feature that is included called X-Gage. So you plug it in, it reads the, your particular ECM because it's amazing how different the ECMs can be even on the same model of truck sometimes in the same engine. So the, the, it reads it, the ScanGage KR reads what's available above and beyond what's already programmed. And then you send that information to the manufacturer of the scan gauge, uh, linear logic. They send you back the program to get all the additional gauges that are available. 
it, we never know what's available until you plug that in. You know, it, it, most of the new trucks have almost everything available, at least in the electronic sense. Um, so there, there will be the sensor available, and it is reporting back to the ECM. So on the new trucks, I mean, it's amazing how many things you can pull out of there. But we don't know for sure what's there until you plug it in, and then the scan gauge will sense what information is available. I see. I, I have a – I am a master auto tech that uh, it looks like your scan gauge is made up from like a, a 1995 vintage – uh, scan tool that, uh, you know, the tech looks like it's that age. Is, is there some kind of upgrade coming? You know, we, we've, um, we've talked about this. We, I, I was originally working on a project before the scan gauge came along. I was working on a project to do this through either Bluetooth or wireless and a phone app um, so that you would put a, a, a transponder kind of thing or a transmitter on the ECM plug itself that would either be Bluetooth or wireless and then we would load the app on the phone and the reason I stopped was because when I started playing around with devices like that the problem still for me either Bluetooth wireless is a little more stable but it that's a whole different technology to get into Bluetooth is the easier and a little in, less expensive way to go. What my frustration was is there was so much Bluetooth going on in the cab all of a sudden. You know, my GPS was Bluetooth. My phone was Bluetooth. I, you know, I had routers in there and, and everything kept grabbing the Bluetooth. And I was constantly trying to fight with getting everything set up and then it would disconnect. So I'm going to get to a break and I'll come back and kind of finish that story and then let you know what we're working on. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. From Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the calls I was talking with Rick in Wisconsin. So, Rick, the reason I ended up going with the scan gauge instead of continuing on with the project was I didn't want one more thing in the cab to be that kind of a disruption, screwing around with getting the Bluetooth connected again and one more thing on somebody's phone because people are using their phone for so much. They're talking on it. They're using it for GPS. They might be listening to audiobooks or podcasts. The last thing I wanted was a driver picking up the phone or screwing around with multiple screens while he was driving. So we, we went with that, you know, old school. Here it is. It sits on your dash. You can set four 
readings at any time you want. It, it's really, really easy to scroll through without even taking your eyes off the road. Um, and it works. It gives us the information we want. I'm with you. It's very old school looking, um, but it just worked. And we wanted results. We wanted something that worked. So now we're at that point where if if we wanted to keep the physical display, but we wanted to kind of bring it into, you know, this decade, the problem is we have incredible cost of redesigning and retooling. And I would need to sell a lot of units just to break even on all that cost. And my fear is we're going to end up moving away from a physical display before I could even make my money back, you know, even get back to even. So it, it's something we've talked about many times where, you know, I, I've worked with John over at Pittsburgh Power about, you know, this idea. I'm still just very hesitant to, to add one more app to somebody's phone that they're going to be actively, you know, working with while they're driving. So to answer your question, there's nothing in the works that you're going to see anytime soon. Cause I, cause I don't know where I want to go with this thing yet. When it displays codes, is it just going to display the number or is there going to be a short description of the code also? Basically just numbers. And, and we don't, we don't really sell this as a way to read codes. It, it, We've had some awesome stories where a guy said, you know, the code came up. It took us right to the problem, saved me a ton of time and money. But you're also going to get a lot of codes that are just worth, you know, how codes work. If, if you know, this is part of what yeah. you've done. Sometimes they're dummy codes, ghost codes, or they're just not very helpful. So we don't really, you know, put much stock in the fact that it'll read codes. It's nice if it helps somebody once in a while. But our primary reason for designing this product was to teach people how to get better fuel economy. All the other stuff we just look at as a bonus. In the automotive sector, there's a lot of parameters that were displayed that were actually calculated values and not an actual sensor somewhere giving the computer a reading. Do you know, is that common on the, the truck industry too? It's almost across the board. Uh, you know, one thing that I try to explain to people and it confuses a lot of people is we designed this to teach you how to get better fuel economy by changing your driving habits. And then in the next sentence, I'll say, ignore the fuel mileage because it's not accurate. That's why we developed fuel gauges online, because that is 100 percent accurate. We're using real gallons and real miles. Well, if, I, if I'm going to teach you how to get better fuel economy, it doesn't matter to me if the readout is saying 7.6 and you're really getting 8.1 in the real world because if we go from 7.6 and we change something and all of a sudden we're getting 7.9, that's an improvement. I don't care if it's accurate or not. It's impossible on trucks today to have a truly accurate fuel mileage readout because there's nothing on that truck that is measuring the fuel flow. And in order to measure the fuel flow, it would be very expensive and very complicated. We would have to have a true physical flow gauge going into the engine 
we would have to have another one coming out of the engine for the return fuel. And then we'd have to have them talking to each other in this, and those gate or those uh, valves, by the way, those meters are outrageously expensive. They do make thousands of dollars. Um, and it really wouldn't do us any good. All it would do is you wouldn't have to take 30 seconds to put your, you know, your numbers into fuel gauges. It's just not worth all the money and the trouble. So almost everything in the scan gauge is going to be a calculated number because that's what the ECM is doing. The ECM isn't measuring all of these things. Um, it's calculating a lot of them. Some are clearly measurements, um, but many of them, just like you experienced on the automotive side, they're calculations based on a lot of other information. I did have a very positive impression when I watched the videos that explain on your website when you're looking to shop for one of these that you can trim your fuel readout to more match, uh, get closer to what your actual real uh, yeah, math readings are, and that that really impressed me a lot. That you, you give that ability to the to the owner of that device you're selling them to, to make it more accurate. Yeah, we can Very do that, and, and that was yeah, and that's how you know we really like the combination of the scan gauge KR in the truck, helping you every minute you're going down the road get better fuel economy. And then when you match that up with our fuel gauges program, our app, which is giving you the real numbers, you can go back and adjust so you get closer to that real number. I do want to advise you to stay away from anything more going to the phone. I, I'm glad you're, you decide not to go that way. Uh, it, I'm leased on as a choice with a large carrier, and they don't allow us to do anything at all with the phone while you're moving. I'm not even supposed to have it up as a map for guidance, just to refer to. They they, they give us a navigation tool in the in the on the tracks that they say that's the only kind of navigation device you're supposed to use. Uh, they say anything more the government they say the government says anything more than pushing one button to make a phone call is texting on your phone. So no listening to podcast or anything you, you, you know my wife sitting next to me can control my phone but i can't even look at yeah it and, and that was i'm violating that was really our decision years ago when i first came up with this idea and i was so excited about putting it on the phone and as soon as i started playing around with stuff myself i said you know what this just isn't safe we, we have we're doing way too much stuff on our phone and we shouldn't be and i'm not going to add to that problem by giving people one more thing. And I know people will say, well, I'll put it in a holder. You're still gonna be screwing around with your phone. And I, I just don't wanna be a part of that. As, as much as I love the technology, not while we're driving. So again, for now, we're sticking with the old school display. It works, we get results. Um, it's very safe. You don't have to mess with it at all while you're driving. And as far as the future, uh, until something changes where I think we could do this absolutely safely, we're just not going to do it. So thanks for the feedback. I appreciate that. Let's go to Arizona. Cameron, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Um, I got a little thing that's been happening. I, I stopped the other day to get some fuel and uh, I noticed that while my truck was idling, it was blowing out some, some really gray 
it's white smoke. And then I go down the road and it wasn't doing it at all. And now it's, it's set for about a week here at the house. And I've, uh, I've started it up a couple times and sitting idling, it won't blow it out. But if I give it some fuel, it'll, it'll blow out some white smoke. Now I had a, an oil sample. I, I took an oil sample as soon as I got home because I was concerned with it and it came back. Everything's fine. So no increase in sodium or potassium? No, okay. not at all. That's what I was concerned about at first was, uh, was yeah, know, cool cooling in the oil. Yeah, yeah. What, what year and what engine? Uh, it's a 2014 Cummins. Okay, one of the things that we see quite a bit, and it's even more common on the uh, older engines, this could be just condensation, especially this time of year when a truck sits and we have warmer days and we still have cold nights and then we have a cold day, then a hot day, and, and we're in that temperature change. That temperature change creates a lot of condensation. And sometimes all we're doing is just blowing the condensation out. So as long as you're sand and there's no increase in sodium and potassium and you're not needing to add coolant, I wouldn't worry about that right now. It's fairly common. Yeah, I was a little concerned with maybe a crack in one of my uh, one of my liners or something, but I, we would we would have more indications. Let me um let me get to a break. I'll come back and make sure we can uh, wrap this one up. But I this wouldn't concern me at all. Just keep an eye on it. We'll talk about it more when we get back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. We're going to get right back to the calls. And I was talking with Cameron in Arizona. So Cameron, I just keep an eye on this. Watch your coolant levels. Sample, you know, at the normal intervals. I, I used to experience this a lot with my, um, like, D-Deck 3 Detroit in Florida in the wintertime when we would get cold nights where it might drop down into the 40s, and then in the daytime it might be 80 degrees, and, and that change would just create condensation, and it would do this, but no big deal. Okay. Well, I'll just take her out and see how she does. Let you know. There you go. Uh, if you see any changes in that oil sample, give me a call. We'll go over it. Let's head off to Oklahoma. Bill, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. Say, um, I'm at the point that I want to get out of my truck, and I'm trying to figure out how much to sell it for, truck, trailer, and the business. And ideally, I was looking for somebody that's 
new that wants to get into it, uh, run it for a year, get enough money together to either rebuild it or to get into something else. But you know, um, but I'm at a loss as to what, uh, how to come up with a number. Got it. Okay, so we'll start with the easy stuff. Um, truck and trailer, pretty easy. You know, go onto a website like uh, truckpaper.com. Uh, that's one of my favorites. You And put in a detailed search. When you get to the homepage, you'll see a link there for detailed search. And what you're going to do is you're going to put in all the exact specs of your truck. It's going to let you put in gear, make, model, engine, transmission, everything you can think of. Uh, and then hit search. And it's going to bring up every truck that's just like yours around the country for sale. And you just start going through the numbers and, and you'll start to come up with a pretty good idea of what the market is. It, and you want to price, you know, competitively and you want to get as much money as you can. The other option, if you're looking for, and then you would do the same thing on the trailer because they have tons of trailers listed as well. And that's going to give you a good starting price. Now, there's another option here. If you want to look for a guy that's new and you want to help him get into the industry and you have the ability to do this, you may even finance him and, and do it's called carry the paper on this. So you let him make payments to you. And you can do that one of two ways. You could do kind of a lease purchase thing. And I know I talk really bad about those, um, but you could structure one that that makes sense for both of you or you can take a little more risk and actually sign the title over to him and, and you hold the note just like you were a finance company. And if you do either one of those, you should probably add, even though you're going to be charging interest, you should also add a premium to the truck because you're taking more risk. So you might even add, say, um, five to 10% premium onto the cost of the truck because you're, you're going this extra step. You're taking more risk. You're going to help him get started. So that's one way to look at the equipment. That's the easy part. Now, when you say the rest of the business, you have customers. Well, I've been running the same lane for better than six years. And, you know, I have the same load coming out of Colorado. I go to Louisiana turn around there and go back. I, I turn about 3,000 miles a week, and I move to where I can go home for a day to a day and a half, sometimes two, depending on how things work out. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a steady thing, steady gig. So, you know. Who actually controls that freight? Is that freight that, that it, it's yours? Do you have your, is, is there authority here? I have my own authority, yeah. And, but I use brokers. I've used the same brokers for, gosh, over 10 years now. You know, I basically did what so, you've been talking about lately. I, I went out and set up with brokers so that I have the same is, people I deal with all the time. Which is awesome. So here's what this comes down to. If, if, if we can get a couple things in place, we may be able to create some extra value here that you, you can then sell. Um, if you were to go to this broker and, and let's say that I'm interested in buying your truck and your business because you have a business, you have authority and you have a customer, the broker, and you've got this steady freight. Um, if I were going to be buying this from you, I would want you and I 
to go to the broker, whoever controls this freight, and have this discussion. Um, as long as if, if I'm going to buy this company and as long as I continue to give you the same level of service that you've been giving, do I have a, a not an absolute guarantee, but will you keep this freight with me? You know, do I have your word that as long as I provide the same level of service, you'll let me keep moving this freight? Or are you just going to go, do you have somebody else waiting for it and I'm going to be on my own? And, and again, we're probably not going to get it in writing. We're probably not going to get an absolute guarantee, although we can ask for it and we could try. Um, but if that could happen, now there is some value in that freight and that customer. Pricing it is, uh, is really, really difficult. Uh, and I've been involved in, in pricing many businesses over the years. Uh, I just had to do it with my own and another because I was, I, I bought, I just recently bought our, our programming company but it was kind of a swap where the owner of the programming company is actually getting shares in our company uh, as part of the deal. So I had to go through this whole exercise of pricing two companies that do some pretty crazy stuff. And I spent, I spent a good solid week doing nothing else. And, and, you know, I came up with the number, you could give it to somebody else, give them the exact same challenge and they're going to come up with a totally different number. There, there's no hard and fast rules about this. Like I said, the equipment's easy. The rest of the business is difficult. And sometimes it's a matter of, of finding a buyer first and then just starting to explore some numbers about what's possible. There's no point in saying, doing all this work and saying, oh, well, this business is worth $100,000 if there's absolutely nobody out there that'd be willing to pay that. So there, there's just not an easy answer to this. This is one of the more difficult business. There are companies that will do it, but they charge outrageous amounts of money because it's a lot of work. Yeah. Or sometimes you can just Would say, you... hey, look, I've got this guy that's interested. I'm going to throw out a number. I think the truck and trailer are worth 50,000 and that's easy. And I think the rest of my business is worth another 50,000. And, and if I talk to somebody and they say, oh yeah, 100,000, I'd be interested, let's talk. Well, now we have a number. And sometimes it's that easy. Sometimes we don't have to go do a whole bunch of work because there is no hard and fast number. There's no right or wrong. It's whatever a buyer and a seller can agree on. Okay. Where would I look to find a buyer? I mean, do you folks, are there people that are uh, studying your, your ways? And, you know, I've been listening to you for a couple of years, and I wish I would have found you 10 years ago. But uh, I went through a lot of those uh, problem spots you've been talking about, chasing the rates and uh, don't haul the cheap freight and all that, and finally figured all that out on my own. But it cost me to do that. But I would like to, you know, find somebody that's ready, not just steering wheel holder, as you say. Yeah, you know, you know what I would do, and, and I'm going to put out kind of a disclaimer before I say this: that, you know, we will not turn the show into a swap and shop, um, which sometimes happens. As soon as I agree to help somebody sell a truck, then 
you get 37 calls with people that want to sell a truck. This is a little different. This is truck trailer business. This is an opportunity for somebody to, to follow what you've already done, which, which follows all the stuff we like to do. What I would do if I were you is I would get all the details together, start to get an idea of, of some numbers that, that make sense to you, and call me at the very beginning of the show on a weekend. Um, Saturday would be ideal. And you and I will talk about this. We'll have this conversation. We'll talk about your business and how you've grown it, what your freight's like. And then if you want, we'll, we'll put your number out there and, and let people call. Okay. What about your Facebook pages? Would that be a good resource too? Yeah. You know, I, I, I pretty much have my Facebook pages locked down so that not everybody, not anybody can post on them because if I let people post on them, then I get 87 posts every day that, you know, don't fit with what we're yeah, doing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. You know, it, it, the, the show is going to be your best bet. Okay. All right. Well, then I'll work on that and then uh, I'll get back to you. That sounds uh, I good. I you answering it. You're, you're welcome. Thanks for the call. I've got to get out of here. There's the music. We'll do it again next time. Thanks for joining me. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. Thanks for tuning in to the Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.